بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولا. So I was contemplating just on the way here that the greatest antidepressant for a person is hope, and we're very different from animals in that animals they just uh, like they, they never go down or up. There's never like something exciting for them, and there's not except like food, right? And there's never something, you never see like a depressed animal unless humans get involved and ruin its life. And that happens all the time. Like you cage up a lion, that's like the worst thing. And then they give him ground beef. So how does he hunt? This is terrible for him. It's bad for his teeth because he doesn't have to claw away. He doesn't have to bite. It's bad for his muscles. He doesn't ever have to sprint. So I think zoos are good for animals that don't need to get Like, they naturally, they're not going to be deprived of anything. Like, peacocks. Like, a rhinoceros. Do they, they don't have to run or anything. You put a rhino in a big uh, lake and he'll be fine. But when you look at animals, they're always just like this. Human beings, though, we're so different. We have like, aspirations, we have a soul. And that soul, it, it's, it, it seems to need constant discovery. We, and this is not a bad thing. Right? You need to be constantly going upwards. So human beings, when they feel they can't go up anymore, that's when they get depressed. And that's the, the materialists suffer from what we call the midlife crisis. And that's because their entire life is dunya. That's it. So when he reaches the age of 50, 55, and he realizes, oh my gosh, I'm like, I don't look good. Nobody likes me anymore. Uh, my days of, of flying around in a sports car or whatever is done with. So he tries to mimic it, okay? And he gets depressed because there's no hope anymore for him. So, but for us, all right, we have a lot more than this. We have to have hope in order to counteract that antidepressant. You have to help, have hope for something for yourself. Now, here's the, here's the kicker. And this is why the world thought they could get away from faith and they realized that, right, realizing now that they can't. Your hope can only be as strong as your belief that what you're hoping for can happen. Like, no one's going to have hope in something they know is never going to happen. And nothing can happen except through the agent that you believe in. So if you believe that, if you're a pure materialist, you know for sure that you have limits. So your hope can only go as far as your power can go. And if you have hope in other people, it's only as far as their power can go. Power is not the only thing. Generosity is the other thing, right? So your hope in somebody else can only go to a certain limit if they're at, at, and of their power and their generosity. So I could have hope in, let's say, a, a, a benefactor of sorts. Well, what if he gets stingy? What if that benefactor himself falls into needs? All right, I got hope in somebody who's powerful and generous, but he might be whimsical, might change his mind, right? So if he changes his mind, I'm lost too. So putting hope in a creation is something that it's like a failed endeavor. And that's where belief is so important. Now, belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot grow in the heart of someone who's sinful. Like the only way to grow, to make that belief grow, is to act upon that creator. 
is to act upon Allah, uh, Allah's commands. The more you act upon it, the more your iman grows. Because there, that's the connection. The more you do something, the more your belief in that thing grows. The more you physically take an action. That's why there's a big difference between Christian faith, like the Christian religiosity, and Jewish religiosity and, and, and Muslim religiosity. This is a big difference that is just noticeable by observation. You don't need much study to see this. Christians have a lot of faith, but what I notice about their faith is I always wonder, how, where does it grow from? Like what? They don't take a lot of actions. They read the Bible. Well, the Catholics have certain rituals, and they have visibles, things that grow, increase their faith, I guess. But there's not much to do, especially in the Protestant religion. What is there to do? You can eat whatever you want. But now we swing over to the Jewish religion. There is so much to do and so much limitation that makes you hate that faith, right? Like you're, it's, like too, it's extremely suffocating. But when you come into Islam, and that's why it's, it's good for Muslims to see the world, because you get to see, well, that religion, that's not doing anything pretty much. I wonder where their faith grows out of. You look at the other religion and you see, wow, that's like so restrictive. And these things are not cultural. This is fitra. Fitra tells you these things. You're every, I, I believe human beings are generally pretty much the same. You tell a woman to shave her head. if You want a husband or you want your hair? That's what Hasidic Judaism, I think, if not all, orth, I don't think all Orthodox Judaism, but the Hasidic Jews, this is what they do. All right? You can never mix a dairy with a meat. So, like, you have to have a completely different kitchen for dairy, and it's like an expense for no reason, right? So, there's fitra here. Now, when you come into Islam, though, one of the beauties I found is that there's so much to do, but it really doesn't hurt you. Only a few things really feel like you're paying a price. A woman has to wear hijab, she's paying a price. I mean, that's a serious thing. In this society, in an Islamic society, it used to not be. And that's something we have to remember. Hijab was not a struggle in the past world. The whole world was covering their hair. The Byzantines used to cover their hair. The Romans probably used to have some uh, hair. Everyone had some kind of hair cover. That's the old world. Well, it's only in the modern world that that's a big deal. It is a big struggle, right? Because you're, you're sticking out amongst your peers and your friends. For a man... Competing in the modern world. I mean, the modern world is just, leave it aside because it's such an exception. Almost in every turn, it's gone away from the path you know, of Dean. Or, or even like of the old world where things were aligned. Christians, Jews, Muslims, they all had similar things regarding interests. They all talked about usury. They all covered their hair. Things like that. So the, the old world was a little bit different. There was no tension. But there are only a few things require attention. But for a regular kid growing up, there are so many things to do that don't cost you anything. Like Salah itself doesn't cost you anything. But it's something to do. Like physically you're doing it. You're physically touching the ground. You're physically getting yourself wet. The miswak. We have things I always look at in Islam that even a baby can do. Toddlers, when they see Salah, they put their hands up. They see everyone putting their hands up. They crawl, they roll around like mimicking sujood, bend down. So even the toddler, there's some tactile 
thing, tactile meaning like physical thing for him to do. That's what I'm talking about. Some physical thing. So I remember in Islam, like when, when you come in earlier, when you're young, you look at the outward thing, the superficial things. You don't think, have deep thoughts about like, you know, the mystical realities of the unseen. No, you're just looking at uh, your physical world. And Islam provides, the sunnah provides little things that are optional. So it comes from yourself that a person can do that increases his connection. Even your dress, your clothes, uh, wearing a certain hat. It's, a, it's an expression of a connection. Right? Uh, miswak. These are expressions. That miswak is with you all the time. So it's expressions of connection. That's what these little things are. And the more rudimentary we are, the more tactile it has to be. That's why I said for kids and youth. For kids and youth, they're more at a rudimentary level than adults, right? You tell an adult, you know, a 60-year-old man, all right, now you're going to become most, all right, change the way you dress, do this. He's like, listen, I'm not a child. Give me the meaning behind this, right? But you give a child meaning, it goes way over his head. You give a 13, 14, 15-year-old meaning, and maybe, maybe not. But you give him something to do. You give him something to wear. And that's why I notice a lot about some of the youth here, that, they get so drawn by extremes almost. Because the extreme will focus so much, I should say, like on the outward. Right? Never wear anything except this. It's like, wow, this, this shook him up. This actually got his attention. Whereas we're telling him, like, no, what you wear doesn't make a difference. This is a connection between you and Allah. That just, it just goes over his head. Now fast forward this person 15 years, then they're going to understand that the outward is not as important as the inward. But for youth and for children, the outward is extremely important, right? Because their mind is still, not to, not, it's not an offense to them. We're not like making fun of them. But it's true that the rudimentary mind is dominated by the externals, right? And the external is the way for him to have a connection. So we have to understand that. And that's where, even as you grow older, the externals do have a, they have, a, they still retain an effect. You go out dressed in a three-piece suit, right? Walk in the streets. And we're not saying that's even haram, right? But your mentality, different doors will open up in your mind, right? Whereas put on a thobe and walk in that same street. Those doors will slam shut real quick. Right? Because certain people will not want to be around you, certain people will want to. Also, for teens, I think it's very important for teen men to, to dress differently. It's very hard to commit certain sins when you're in a thope, right? You feel like, no, this is, this is wrong, right? It's always wrong, right? But it's inconsistent. And we actually, we go by that, we look for that. You want to make sins, sinful behavior, inconsistent with yourself so that you have to drop it. And that's where one of the shiuchi very wisely said that when a person is 50-50 is in religion, he should preach. Preach to his friends. Go preach to your friends. Go speak something good. Go represent uh, the deen in some capacity. Right? Because he's going to feel so inconsistent and hypocritical about committing sins that that feeling of hypocrisy 
is going to force him to vomit out his sins. That's why they send little youth on, on, on the Dawa trips, right? Dawa trips go, send the youth with them, all right? The shiuch will speak in the masjid, you teach the kids. So it builds inside of himself this identity, I'm, a, I'm from the, I'm amongst the pious. Then when he goes home and he commits his sins again, he's like, no, this got to stop. Like, I'm going to go crazy here because two opposite things are coming in my mind, and we call that in psychology today cognitive dissonance, right? Cognitive dissonance, what the Prophet called it, it scratches in your heart. And the Prophet gave a far better term than the psychologist. The psychologist gave an academic term. You tell a kid cognitive dissonance, he doesn't even know what the heck you're talking about. A 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 15-year-old. But you tell him what, what the Prophet said, what scratches in your heart. Yeah, I know that feeling. I know that feeling of lying about an exam. I mean, I think a lot of kids have done this in their life. Right? Back in the... See, I actually feel bad for today's kids. That poor kid, every single thing he does goes straight onto a computer, a software, a portal that I could look at right now. Oh, he didn't hand his homework. He got a C on his test. In my day, he could make up for it. You can get a couple C's on your exams, crumple that up, throw it away, right? No one's ever going to see it. And you can make up for it later. Today's kids, they're just exposed. Everything's out there. You won't even believe we get reports about toddlers when they urinated, if their defecation was soft, it's like something's wrong or something. When he took a nap, how long he took. I don't need this information, right? But everything is out there. The kids have like no... It's almost like you do need a little bit of privacy to develop who you are, right? But there's like no privacy anymore. Uh, in any event, point being is that children and kids need some tactile things to increase their iman. And the more we do ibadah, and the more we avoid haram, we make sacrifices, okay, the more the bond grows between you and whoever you're doing that for. That is the truth for all things. If there was a cult leader, why do cult leaders ask people to do meaningless things? You could, if you join a cult, that cult leader will tell you, no more wearing green. And he'll come up with some nonsense reason why. It's just a, t- a loyalty test. The more things you start to obey him in, the more attached you become to him. Like, you're invested now. I'm investing myself in him. That's what cult leaders do. So on the one hand, all right, this is a universal thing. And no human being has the right to do this to another human being. Right? No human being should do this. The Prophet ﷺ himself never did this with the Sahaba to test them and to make sure they're loyal to him. He only revealed Allah's command. Even when the Prophet ﷺ ruled between two Sahaba, one of them was Zubair ibn Awam, his cousin, from the mother's side. And from Zubair's mother's side to Abdul Muttalib. And the other was a man from the Ansar. The man from the Ansar, he lived south on the, on the bottom slope. Zubair lived on the top slope. The stream ran into Zubair's property, onto the man from the Ansar's property. So Zubair ibn Awam, being a Meccan from the business world, he saw an asset. 
You don't let an asset go for free. So what did he do? He built a dam. He built a wall, a retaining wall, and all the water settled in a pool for him. Then he could do whatever he wanted with that water. The man from the Ansar went to the Prophet ﷺ to complain. Zubair stopped the water. How did he stop the water? He built a retaining wall on his property. Zubair knows the law. Zubair knows fiqh. He wouldn't have done it if he didn't know fiqh. I'm allowed to build a wall on my property. What the heck? Man came to the Zubair and says, we have a court appointment in front of the Prophet I'm taking you to court. They go to the messenger in the masjid. Oh, Zubair, what happened? He said, I built a retaining wall on my property. I have full right to do that. The Prophet said, let go of the wall. Let it go down. Zubair knows his rights. He said, O Master of Allah, is it advice or a commandment? Are you commanding me as a prophet to do that? Or is this your advice? So the law of Allah is, I'm allowed to build a wall on my property. Now the prophet's telling me the opposite. Is this your advice? Or is it God's command? Here the prophet had a chance to basically enforce loyalty. Right? Or enforce his will. But he didn't enforce anything that Allah did not tell him to enforce. So the Prophet said, it's advice. Zubair said, by Allah, I will not do it. I'm benefiting greatly from this. Okay? He said, by Allah, I'm not doing it. He went back and he didn't do it. After a few weeks, he looks over, all the crops are dying. Poor guy. He feels bad for him. He lifts the wall. He lets the water go. But you see here, the Prophet did not do what these people did. So my point is that the more you obey something, the more you act upon something, the more that bond grows. That's true for everything. But with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, number one, He has the right. Others don't. He has the right to do it and others don't. Others have the right in certain capacities. If you hire someone, if you're a general in the army, if you're a coach of a team, you, the more you demand of your players, you see who's loyal to you. But Allah has the right to do so. He has the right to, other people don't. Number two, there is something that is uh, what we would just say tawqifi, or it's something that is, it's just from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that this act of worship in specific will draw you near to Him. He's created it that way. And something Rabbani, Rabbani means heavenly, will descend upon the person of Iman and Sakina. Right? That is not just the natural attachment to something that you act upon. So the more that we do acts of ibadah, if a person's iman in the agent of hope, remember we said hope, this is the antidepressant for people. But your hope can only be as big, it's only an antidepressant if it's bigger than what you fear. And it can only be as big as the agent that you believe in. That's going to affect and, and bring into existence this hope. So you have to have a lot of iman. And that is why, and that's what motivates and moves people to avoid what's forbidden and to do acts of ibadah. So that's why anytime that someone has weak hope, or they're a bit down, or what have you, right? Or they're, they're not feeling hopeful, they're not feeling strong, they're, not feel, they're feeling doubt, you need to do acts of ibadah. Right? Do acts of ibadah to combat that doubt or that lack of hope. All right, let's let's move now to all right. Let's move now to um, 
our tafsir of Surah Al-Alaq, where we left off on Alam al-Insan ma lam yalqalaq iqra' bismi rabbi iqra' wa rabbuka al-akram alladhi 'allama bil-qalam 'allama al-insan ma lam yalam Yes. Yeah, Bagawi. You want it? I'll airdrop it to you. Is that an iPhone? You got Bagawi? You're kidding. What's the app called? Can you get his mic on, please? Is it on Apple? Okay. Nay, kalla, no. Inna al-insana layatqa. All right. This is such an important concept. The human being, when he feels that he has no more needs, he doesn't need anybody, need anything, he goes outside of his bounds. He goes to excess. He goes... Um, beyond what is his right and beyond what is good for him and that's where it's so important to actually see that observation happening in the world whenever you see people who are uh, uh, going beyond their bounds who are excessive it's because they have no needs and that's where rich countries have a lot of issues okay rich countries they have a lot of issues in that their people have no more need so they feel that they're a little bit more powerful than they actually are. They feel that they're you know, more powerful than they are and they have no need to obey anything and they start going into sins. However, you are going back to your Lord. So he's warning you that you might think that you have no need, but you are going back to your Lord. Ar-Ruj'ah is the day of judgment. But it's also a state. You're always going back to your Lord, meaning you will always have a need. You'll always be in need of Allah in some way, shape, and form. And that's why, you know the idea of having a chip on your shoulder? It's the idea that um, you feel deficient. Something in life has made you feel so deficient that you have to work extra hard. And no matter how successful you are, you always feel it could be taken. I could. It could be lost at any minute. That is the best generation. That's a. It, I think it's a good thing. You always feel you have to prove yourself. And those are the people who achieve the most, be- and because they guard it, they know this can be lost at any minute. And people who did experience some kind of loss, and Allah showed them that power, that's possible. They benefit from that. So people who've lost, let's say, uh, a loved one, they're always appreciative of the people around. They know it could be lost at any minute. But people who've been given everything, and that's why the second generation who've inherited their wealth are like, they're always looked down on. The guy who earned all the wealth, he's a champion. That's what, like, the second generation, you never trust them. He don't know what loss feels like. The lack. He doesn't feel like, he doesn't know what lack feels like. Uh, Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab, he said that spiritually. He said that what I fear, 
the, is the loss of Islam at the hands of the kids who are born Muslim. Right? I can't remember the Arabic right now, but that's the meaning of it. That Islam, it goes down, it will lose. We will lose at the hands of those born into Islam. But they don't know what the value of what they have. And they don't know how bad kufr is. They don't realize that some of the people you're dealing with and you think that you're friends, there is nothing stopping them from betraying you. Right? And you don't know, and you may, may be interested with the adornments that the kufar have been given. Zahrat al Hayat al Dunya, as the Quran says. And you don't realize, like, the black hole of emptiness that they're actually in. Right? Which is why I'm looking at when it's so. I'm not saying it's good to see, as in I'm happy to see them like this, but it's important for us to see some of the Hollywood stars out there and how depressed they are, right? Like, what guy could have more in his life of dunya than a guy like Brad Pitt? Like, who out there do you know could say, I got a better life, materially, purely materially, than Brad Pitt? The guy plays make-believe for a living. He's got more money than he could ever count in his life, okay? He doesn't have any it's almost like he's got no problems in his life he's got like materially wise the perfect life materially yet it's said about him he drinks he's like completely depressed he's on his second divorce going on the first had a nasty divorce now he's about to have a second one and he's married to these Hollywood stars and from a material aspect this guy should be happy but it this I'm not happy I'm not saying I'm happy to see these people like this but it's proven the point is that the, the zahir, the outward, cannot make you happy if the inward is messed up. And not in alignment in the orbit that Allah put it in. The outward, it can make you happy if the inward is good. And the, But the out, here's the beauty of it. The outward really can only, in a small capacity, make you miserable if the inward is good. So if the inward is good, your range is between happy and ecstatic that's where your range is going to be and I uh, heard about biographies of awliya in jail in jail that uplifted the soldiers the guards they uplifted the guards that were in the jail that were guarding them and some of them back in the ancient times not so ancient maybe in the colonial period the soldiers became addicted to their to the company See, Allah guides whom he wishes. Some Italian and French soldiers, they took over in Morocco and, and Algeria and Libya, and some random guy far away is born, and it's his job, Allah chooses him to be the guard for one of the big odia. And in Sudan it happened too, British. Uh, uh, the British colonized uh, Sudan. The French and Italian colonized North Africa. And there were Italian guards that guarded shiuch. The most famous of them is Omar Mukhtar, but he's not the only one. There were many, many shiuch who were awliya and arifin. The guards became Muslim and wrote biographies of them. Like we, I wish we had these biographies. Like they're, It's known that this happened, but it's not publicized. Like where's the biography? Where's the memoir? And is it historically like we could say it's accurate? But we do know that this actually happened and they wrote about him, right? About the shiuch when they went back to their country, and they had become addicted to the company of the sheikh. Because there's a nur that comes out from the ibadah of the sheikh, his cell. There's like a sakina coming out of the cell. The guard's sitting there. He doesn't even know what's going on. He, feels, uh, he just feels like at peace. 
he goes home, he leaves, he feels miserable. He doesn't, then it takes him maybe a year or so to figure out the connection. I want to be here. I love being here. Then he starts talking to the sheikh. Then he becomes Muslim. Then he becomes like a murid, basically. Heaven's coming out of the jail cell. So, if your inward is set properly, you can never, your, your, your radar will never go down into the misery. It will always be at one level of sa'ada or another. And that's the beauty of it. Of course, if your material, all things equal, if your material outward status is better, then of course you're going to be more happy. So, would you rather be, for example, uh, like, if all iman is equal, have a kingdom like Dawood, Sulaiman, or be in jail? Of course, if you have a kingdom, you're going to be happier because you could do more. You could spread the truth more, right? And you'll physically be more comfortable, too, as a king than as a prisoner. So, how bad does the excess get? The excess of those who have no needs, they're extremely wealthy and they have no material needs, get so bad that they will now turn on, they turn on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They become enemies of Allah. How do they become enemies of Allah? That they hate to see someone relying on Allah Ta'ala. Why do they hate worship so much? Because it reminds them of a reality that they know is true. Is that they do, they are in need. They do have a creator. And they will one day have to answer back for all their time on this earth. So they hate to see worship. They say, hate to see ibadah. You notice all of the material world and the West, they don't mind any movement except a movement that says this is not a religion that I made up or is of my identity. This is of Allah and I'm submitting to it. That's the big difference between why they hate Islam yet they're accepting of anything else. Like any other weirdo nonsense, they accept it. That may be more weird than Islam. It's not about weird. It's about the fact that a Muslim does not practice Islam by saying, this is what I'm doing and I choose to do. No. We say, we are submitting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we as a Muslim, you can 100% say, I don't want, my nest does not want to do certain things. But I'm doing it because of, I'm submitting to Allah. That's a big difference between someone who says, no, my identity is X, Y, and Z. And I'm going to do you know, these more wild things, these more different things, right, than anyone else. Because when they do that, they're still confirming the right usul that the West accept, which is your nafs dictates. So then that's the usul that they accept. Whereas when we come in Islam, and the Catholics make the same claim, and the Jews make the same claim, okay, which is that, no, this is not from us. We are submitting our egos to something bigger. That's what the issue that that's the issue that the general Western vibe of things is not accepting. It's not accepting this idea of you, my ego, not being in the driver's seat. So it's totally fine that you give me a, a laundry list, a book this big of what you can't eat. Right? As long as it's your choice. As long as you made it up. And it's your choice. But the moment you come and I got one sentence of what I can't eat only because God told me not to, that I have a problem with that. Because it's the reason you're doing it. And it's the usul. 
methods. Everyone's got usul, right? They accept the methodology that your worldview comes from your ego. They have total acceptance of that. It comes from yourself and your own mind. And this earth, observation, whatever calculations you made, that's all fine. We could make fun of you, but you're accepted. But the moment you say, no, I've exited this, this world, and now I'm obeying something of the unseen from the heavens. At that point, they reject it. All right, so that's the meaning of yenha, الذي ينها عبدا إذا صلى. Okay. Now the ayah stops at yenha. They, they stop. They forbid. Well, forbid what? Everything related to the deen. But then specifically the prayer. Okay. And because the prayer is the crux of the whole thing. All right. And the prayer is the direct visual, physical manifestation that your usul is obedience to something heavenly. When I don't eat pork, I cannot eat pork, and the other guy next to me doesn't eat pork because he's a vegetarian. I can't see the difference, right? I can fast, and the other guy's doing intermittent fasting too. I'm doing it for Allah, he's doing it for his diet. We can't tell the difference unless I say the difference, right? I give charity to the poor, I call it zakah. Out of obedience to Allah, another guy can give charity because he feels like it. It makes him feel happy, feels good. So, a lot of acts of worship, you don't know the difference. Niqab, this uh, COVID has shown, 10 people can cover their face, one's doing it for Allah, the other's doing it for a virus, out of fear of a virus, right? So even hijab and hijab, a million women go around wearing a hood, right? What's the difference? She's wearing a hood, big deal, okay? Or in the cold, they wear those, uh, you know, those, uh, those thingies that they wear. Scheme, like a ski mask that goes around the head. If it's really cold, you wear that, right? So a lot of things in Islam, the person can be doing the same exact thing for you for a different intention except salah. And that's why salah is so important and Allah is very specific. I want to do this, do it this way, don't do it this way. Don't do it at this hour, do it at this hour. Because it's the pure expression of ubudiyah to Allah Ta'ala. There is nobody, ever, you will never see anybody doing an act that resembles, exactly resembles salah. But you can see someone doing something exactly resembling any other act of worship. Jihad, of course, everyone goes to war. Think of any act of worship. Marriage, yeah, we all marry, right? Hindus marry, Jews marry, everyone marries. Secular people marry. Charity, hijab we said, niqab. They, you can find a mimic, but you will never find someone making sujood the way a Muslim does. In the exact way that we make sujood. Moving his finger. In the, so that salah is mentioned here because it is the most specific and the most uh, clear expression that I'm connecting and I'm submitting to, some, to what is beyond this world. Okay. So that's why He forbids and he hates all matters of faith. However, in specific, the prayer. And this is in terms of Asbab al Nuzul, specifically to Abu Jahl, who used to loathe seeing the Prophet pray. Like, he, this, he's an example. He used to hate everything, he used to hate the whole Islam. But he loathed the prayer in specific. It just reminded him that the Bani Hashim, they got a connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our tribe didn't. Okay? He just despised the prayer. 
All right, let's take a look at some of the other hadith here. Hmm. That Abu Jahl said, Hal ya'fur Muhammad wajahu bayna al-hurikum? And he used to make fun of the prayer. Does he bury his face in front of you? That's what he used to call sujood. You know what they call sujood in, um, in the video games now? Because of all the sujood that happens in soccer. You know there's so much sujood no, in no, soccer. In the There's sujood. You know what they call it? Because no. they couldn't... Because they want to mimic the British soccer, the worldwide soccer leagues to the T and sujood is so common right so when they made the move in the video game I guess it's FIFA back in my day it was FIFA right but when they made this, uh, the soccer video game and they made a sujood and he's doing sujood but they can't call it prostration they call it the kiss the turf <laughs> that's what they called the move so they can't call it prostration so they have to call it kiss the turf so here, Abu Jahl, now they're not doing that. I don't think they did that maliciously. They just, they just can't say prostration. They can't, they're not going to put a religious thing in, in, the, in the... You know that one time an NFL player did it? Yeah. yeah. Two, People do it after every game. Uh, the wrestler. Yeah. The UFC yeah. fighter. Uh, there were two Muslims. Brothers, right? Those brothers. Yeah. They got, they got basically pushed out of the league for this. Because... They saw the soccer guys doing it. I think one of them, like, he had an interception, a pick six. He goes back, gets a touchdown. The British, all the British have no clue what we're talking about. But basically, he caught the quarterback's catch, the opposing quarterback, and he ran with it, like rugby, into the end zone and got six points. So he picked off the quarterback and ran into the end zone. That's why it's called the pick six. Six points for a touchdown. And he did sujoot. Oh, my gosh. It was a scan- it was scandalous. Because the NFL is a different vibe. I know, they could do everything. Odell Beckham can mimic a dog urinating, right? I watched, I watched this stuff yesterday. They do the stupidest stuff. Grown men. Grown men. Dancing around. And like oh, man. And stuff. I've seen these highlights sometimes, and I wonder to myself, wait, don't you guys have to practice for the game? You, <laughs> these are like, in, in, uh, like elaborate dances and stuff, right? And they're all like uh, kitty things. It's not even like a talented dance that you could say, wow, that like, took practice. Uh, but... There was a scan, it was a scandalous thing because in, in the American the American football scene, Islam is not welcome. Unlike basketball, right? Um, I would say basketball, there's a, there are a number of Muslim players, right? Not a problem. Uh, but European soccer, filled with Muslims, okay? Totally not a problem to be a Muslim. But American football, uh-uh. And they eventually, like, pushed them out of the league, those two guys. So, uh, one of them picked Tom Brady at one point. That was like his highlight of his career. He intercepted Tom Brady at some point. Yeah, they went to Umrah. Yeah. Where do they live? Their brother lives in Dallas. Is there one here? In Jersey, Yeah. Okay. So, Abu Jahl makes fun of sujood. He says, does Muhammad bury his face in the dirt? Astaghfirullah kafir. They said, yes, he does. Right? He does that in front of us. He said, I swear by Let and Uzza, if I see him doing that, okay, I'm going to sit on his neck 
and and for and and jam his face in the dirt. Look what a the enemy the Prophet had, subhanAllah. SubhanAllah. Then the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam one time was seen praying. And Abu Jahl was there, and all the people that he said in front of were there. And he went to the Prophet and he went to basically put sit on the Prophet's back while he's in sujood and jam his face into the dirt. Subhanallah. He gets there, and all of a sudden, he turns back, running, and pushing something away with his hand. Running away, and trying to stiff-arm something with his hand. He said, I got there, and lo and behold, I saw a ditch of fire. Okay? And I saw a hawk chasing after me. The Prophet ﷺ, afterwards, everyone saw the scene. Okay? Everyone saw the scene. He says, Those were angels. Those birds that he saw were malaika. And he said, If he had come closer to me to do what he did, what he wanted to do, the malaika would have nipped off, nipped him off limb by limb, just like a bird, like what I watch here, nature's brutal videos, limb by limb, ripped apart, limb by limb. قال فأنزل الله لا ندري في حديث أبي هريرة أو شيء بلغه كلا إن الإنسان لا يطغى الرآه السغنة إن إلى ربك الرجع أرأيت الذي أنهى عبدا إذا صلى Summarizing Abu Jahl, a man who has no needs in the world. He, has, he doesn't need to respect anyone. He's extremely big physically. He was extremely rich. He was extremely smart. He was of lineage. There were, he had no worries. People who have no worries like this, and they never fear losing anything, they go to excess, right? They become bullies. They oppress. They indulge because he has nothing to lose, Okay. And they see that, and they despise anything that reminds them of their weakness. Your weakness as a human being, of your dependency as a human being. We are dependent as a human being, whether you like it or not. We're dependent. They despise anything that reminds them of their dependence. Right? We, on the other hand, we will be on the straight path as a group of people. As long as we remember we're dependent, we can be knocked out at any time. You weren't a Muslim. I have a lot of weaknesses. We were all came into Islam after maybe being in a type of jahiliyyah, which wasn't kufr, alhamdulillah. Right? And you know better than anyone else here because you entered Islam. We could lose all this. We are also, all of us, mashallah, in this room have eyes, ears, we have bodies. If you study in medical school, subhanAllah, all the diseases, it's a miracle that anyone's healthy. That's, the, that's a takeaway when you study in, in, in medical school, all the diseases, right? You, alhamdulillah, just came back from Mauritania for what, nine months? 
11 months in Mauritania. This cup of water, you've never seen anything like this for 11 months. You haven't seen anything like this. It was, it was brown. The water in Mauritania is not crisp and clear like this. We always have to realize this stuff is not default. There's no default. SubhanAllah. There is no default. Everything is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can be taken away like that. We have a brother in the masjid. You've probably seen him. He was like a youth who was just a happy youth. Enjoyed life. His parents let him do what he wants to do. He had a terrible motorcycle accident. And now he has partly, partially paralyzed. In one day. The day started off totally normal. The day ends, he's paralyzed. This brother, this was one of the things I was actually honored to be called into this family to do dhikr and dua and salah and, and recite Quran in his hospital room because he was in such terrible, terrible shape. Right? And when you work in this job, it's really an honor when a family calls you and says, come and, and, and do some recitation for us. And we did recitation for him and uh, visited him a lot. Time has passed, but this tribulation that he has, you can't imagine it falling on anyone else's head. You say to yourself, we used to see a happy-go-lucky kid who used to just play around, take risks, do whatever. Allah saw somebody who can bear a tribulation that nobody else can bear to lose the ability to use an, an arm, right? And all the things that go with that. There's a, there's a lot of side effects that go with that. Okay? SubhanAllah. So, we should not take any, any of this at any minute. Kun fekun, be lost. And that's the opposite of this ayah. Because when you see an op, uh, ayah like this, you have to do the opposite. You have to realize at every moment we're in need. And that's why we don't oppress. You don't oppress anything. Even an ant, to deprive it of food, to deprive it of anything, it could come back to you. So we should have that. That is really, when we talk about fear of Allah, don't oppress. Fear Allah Ta'ala if you're tempted to oppress, if you're tempted to be smug. Fear Allah because Allah loathes these attributes. And he has the power to come directly into your throat with his command and stop you from breathing, stop you from eating, stop you from moving. He has that power. Right? And we'll use it. But we are lucky, we are lucky, very, very lucky, that he says, He forgives a lot. He forgives you a lot. And as you all are young, have kids. You will earn, the for, you will earn a lot of forgiveness for their sake. Have kids. Because then, they need to eat food. Allah will use you. Alright, you didn't do that. You don't deserve those legs anymore. But keep him, give him his legs because his kids need food. He needs to go to work. So many people don't deserve anything. Alright, but he's got dependents. Let him go and continue work. Forgive him. Lift this punishment from him. And on top of that, alright, you're going to bring the rizq back to your kids. Fine, take a sliver for yourself. That's how risk works. <clears throat> now, what if he was on Al Huda? Okay. taqwa commanded. So, we are commanded to think about what happens if these people were on the good. 
how much good would they do if they were on the truth? Right. But what did they do instead? He chose to go against the truth and rebel. You fool, who are you rebelling against? You're not winning this. You see these guys like um, the British uh, f- professor of biology. Hot, what's his name again? Biology? You, know that, you know the guy who writes all the atheist books? Dawkins. You know this guy? This guy, by the way, He's very ignorant about Islam and religion. He, when he destroys theology in his book, he's destroying something we don't even believe in, right? He's destroying. This is what exactly what they call straw men, right? He takes what he perceives to be religion or Islam, and he makes it into like uh, a scarecrow. Then he destroys it. But it's that's not even what Islam is. He didn't even research his enemy. But he gets away with it because of his British accent and because of his medical degree or whatever he has. If anybody said those same words in a Brooklyn accent would not get five seconds of fame. But because he has that, that British accent and that uh, medical degree, okay, and he comes in with that suit, and he's sort of a, like a stoic personality, right? So he sounds very well thought through. Very smug about what he's saying, okay? And he wages war and his entire life on God. Now, I have a question for you. If God didn't exist, why would you bother with this, with all this energy, right? If you truly believed God doesn't exist, why would you bother do, putting all this effort? Secondly, do you think you're going to win a battle against God? This doesn't make sense both ways. And that's why kufr does not make sense. And the further you go into kufr, the more insane it gets. Like uh, mass murderers, when you say to yourself, this is insane. Well, obviously he's not really insane, but kufr makes you do things that, that look totally insane. right? That's what kufr does. So uh, these people are not insane. If you were insane, you would be firing your gun at a tree or a squirrel. That's what insane people do. Insane people do not selectively, per- perfectly select the right victim and shoot them. And know where to kill them too. So you can call that criminally insane, whatever you want. But kufr itself leads people to do acts that everyone else calls insane. But this type of behavior where you spend your entire life devoted to the hatred of something that you claim to believe doesn't exist. That makes zero sense. right? I can make fun of, uh, and no offense because I do have some Hindu neighbors who are really nice they're actually Christian, but uh, they're Indian Christian. You know that there's Indian Christians out there because the Portuguese came in and they did serious dawah. And I was a con- confusion of my life when I see an Indian guy in front of me, he's Indian, and he tells me his last name is Fernandez. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm totally confused right now. He's got an Indian accent, everything's Indian about him, and he tells me his last name is Fernandez, right? But it, then they explained it to me that they had, the Portuguese went down there made Christian settlements, intermarried with the people, and then over the years of intermarriage, they're completely Indian, you know, they're in their DNA now, it's like totally, look Indian, everything's Indian, culturally Indian, but they're Christians, right? So I have neighbors like that. But there's also, um, I do have some decent relations with some Hindus, so not to make fun of their God or anything, but we always, we, we, do, we make jokes about some of these things, right? It's never going to 
past the level. Like some people say, oh, you didn't even research it. And I'm not. I'm not researching this myth of the elephant man or the woman who has nine. I could care less uh, uh, about researching. Why do they honor the cow so much? Or the wisdoms, they say, of bathing in cow dunk. No. I don't believe in it. I look down on it. And I'm not going to spend not two seconds researching why they do that. Right? I've made my conclusion already. So, but if I was hesitant, I was like, well, maybe they do have a point, right? Then I would research it, right? And that's where when someone gets so defensive. If you ever see somebody come in and they have a reaction towards men. It's true. That a woman could have a bad experience with a dad or a stepdad. So she has a reaction towards men. But you know exactly immediately that something's wrong with you in your past. Something happened to you in your past, right? Like, why would you hate men so much? There are people... So women aren't so innocent either. A man could have a terrible experience with his mom. And whenever you see a man who hates women, look at the, look at the serial killers that killed women. Like 99% of the time, the mom herself was the issue. So he has a mother problem. So there are people who have issues with their dad. There are people who have issues with their mom, right? I think one of them, I can't remember who it was, his mother used to basically leave him in a room and have drug dealers come in, and she'd be with a different guy every month, whoever's supplying her the drugs, and then she abandoned him. So what does he think he's going to grow up to be? He hates women. So he goes around and he kills women. All of them look like his mom. Brown-haired women like his mom. It's like psychology, straight-up basic stuff that you could... So whenever you see someone having such an emotional reaction towards something, something happened in your life. Maybe you, a priest bothered him. I guarantee you, if we rewind into the life of Dawkins, this is emotional. Something happened between him and a priest, or maybe he made dua for his grandma to live and she didn't, right? And then he, it became an emotional thing. I, I had a guy on my uh, uh, Facebook for years, years, Pakistani guy from Montreal, would follow every post that I made and he would say something making fun of Islam. Until finally, at some point came around, he did at some point repent. Then he disappeared again. I don't know where he is. But he did admit and he said, my real issue was that my grandma died. And I projected that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And I'll tell you why this is foolish. Because if you believe, the moment you said the word Allah, all of his actions are wise. Including taking your grandmother. Right, you may have loved your grandmother. Maybe she did not love being alive anymore. Maybe she was old. You don't know what she's been through. That she wants to leave this world and go and be reunited with her loved ones and in the presence of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So first of all, you don't know the wisdom. But the moment you say this is a divine act from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, it means it's a wise action, and it's up to you to search for the wisdom. I'm telling you. There are pearls in the Arabian Gulf. It's up to you to find them. They are there, guaranteed they're there. That's why every Gulf state, that, that's what they used to be. So if you look at most of the Gulf states, they, their symbol is the boat because their livelihood was on pearls and they would go get up, sell it, go to the city and sell the pearls. But if I'm telling you there's pearls down there, it's up to you to find a way. And that's one of the things, if you have kids, 
This is a practice that you should do. If you know something, let's say, is in a closet. Say, go get me that. You know what kids are going to do, right? They're going to open up, look at it for half a second. And if, they, if it's not right there in front of them, they're going to go back and say, I can't find it, right? You say, go find it. Or if, they, if you know they have the capacity to achieve something. I know they have the capacity, for example, to put a table together. Put the table together. I don't know how to do it. You know how to do it. I'm not telling you anything. And you don't tell them. You make them dig inside themselves. Because this is a habit that they're going to need later in life. Later in life, when we tell them there's a wisdom in this, it's up to you now to say, okay, find the wisdom. Never complain about it, because there is a wisdom. And that's basically where what these people didn't do. And they projected against God. That's why they have such an emotional hatred towards God and religion and religious people. And that's exactly what is happening here with Abu Jahl, that he despises the, the deen because he was competing. And he admitted it himself. We were competing with the Bani Hashim. They got rich, we got rich. They got authority, we got authority. They got prestige, we got prestige. Now they got a prophet. How are we going to match that? That's what's eating him up. Eating him up. Writing is about Abu Jahl. He turned and he is in rebellion. That's what we got to talking about. Rebellion against God and how that makes no sense to wage a war. Either you don't believe in him and if you do, you're going to lose. Okay. Uh, Tahiban Noreen says it was Ted Bundy who we were talking about. Yes. He had this emotional reaction against certain types of women that m- reflected what his mother looked like because how his mom treated him. All right. So, In other words, do you... You, either you believe in this God or you don't. If you don't believe in this God, don't even bother spending two seconds on it. Right? Why would you spend two seconds on it? They always, people say, oh, you, you can't refute something unless you know about it. If it's a philosophy, but if it's a false God, I don't need to learn the fake story about the false God. Like Zeus. Someone asked me about this. I'm going to say, Nothing, just the stories of the Greeks. That's all it is. It's nonsense, obviously, right? Nobody believes in that. I don't even think they believed in it. It's just national stories. That's, that's probably what it was. But are you going to, do you have to research and study what Zeus is in order to know it's a bunch of nonsense? I don't have to, right? And I'm not going to. I already made my decision. Uh, the only reason I would ever study anything about Greek mythology is I'm going to polite society and I need something to talk about right that there is some knowledge that's important just for that purpose no other purpose that if you're in company you have to have a clue about certain things in life right in that culture but that's it do you know that Allah is watching you and he has power over you so either you don't believe in him or you do believe in him if you don't believe in him don't bother spending two seconds on him if you do believe in him, you're not winning this war. So just put up the white flag and try to get a plea bargain as best as you can, right? To make up for your past sins. Now Allah tells us about the punishment. And this punishment, it sounds very strange, but it's very reassuring to have a God that's powerful. I don't understand how people, they, they sort of squirm about this. Oh, God, it's all mercy. 
there are people out there like Hitler and uh, and uh, and uh, what's his name from the Russian killed more people than Hitler, Stalin, and worse. And our our guys aren't so innocent either. Do you think George Bush is an innocent guy? He's as bad as Stalin, except he just didn't do it in his own country. He went how many thousand miles away to do it in Iraq and didn't do it himself, just gave the order to do it. In the Sharia, he's as, he is the number one most guilty person of all. Don't be fooled by this, this funny guy, right, uh, who's now a painter, apparently. He used to own baseball teams. He, he, he can't put two words together, right? And you think to yourself, I mean, he's just like a, a, a cowboy, right? No, don't be fooled by that. He's guilty. He went to war in Afghanistan and Iraq on nothing. Okay? On nothing. Doesn't even make sense they went to Afghanistan when you tell me 19 Saudis took over the planes. So go to war with Saudi, right? But, uh, and they say, oh, well, bin Laden is, uh, was behind it and he was in Afghanistan. So wait a second. He's, bin Laden is sophisticated enough from caves to hijack these planes a bad discussion for September 12th to have, right? Because 9-11 was yesterday. But he's sophisticated enough to do that. But he's... Uh, and you caught him right away. But we can't figure out who killed Kennedy. Right? Where like, there were like 50 people in the park. We can't figure out who killed Kennedy. But this, we figured it out right away. I mean, of course he took credit for it because he couldn't dream to ever have done an act like that. He didn't have the capacity to do that. And look at the follow-up acts. This is the best one. When the, when, the, when the Islamic Jihad groups, they took responsibility for it because it was pride for them to hit America like that. Amongst themselves, they viewed him as like, they viewed this, they loved this act. Okay? Uh, that's haram for us, right? But they did. They're not guided, let's say. Look at the follow-up acts. They tried to follow it up. The underwear bomber. The shoe bomber. This is getting worse and worse and worse. And they all failed. So after 9-11, they mimicked it. And one guy went and put a bomb in his shoe. It went off in the airplane and burned his foot. That's all that got burned. The other guy put it, the bomb in his underwear. And all of a sudden, like his thighs were on fire. So when they really tried to do the job, that's, what, that's the product that you got there's no way that these guys in caves, I'm telling you, I'm guaranteeing you, were able to pull this off, right? You see any Islamic organization that has the ability, right, to do something, turn planes around, go and not be detected by NORAD, how did you not get detected? How did you perfectly maneuver the plane like that? Anyway, of course, we know that planes didn't knock down the towers. This thing was demolished. It was a, it was a, it was a, controlled demolition so he's as guilty as anybody else in the world George Bush and don't be fooled by his uh, jokey self and his uh, you know cutesy accent and all that stuff okay Stalin you could tell he's a killer Saddam Hussein looks like a dictator Hitler is insane his speeches and then Bush he's like on a golf course right all this stuff, and he's just uh, at ball games, and he looks like a regular guy. Don't be fooled by any of that stuff. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is powerful, and he, he will punish these people. They will get punished. 
We will take the hair on his forehead and drag him to the fire. Okay. The nasiya is the forehead. And when Allah says we, we will grab him by the forehead, means the angels of punishment will grab him by the hair in the forehead. But when Allah says the forehead that it uh, is a lying forehead, what do your parents believe about 9-11, by the way? So that if I meet them, I don't offend them. About this? Yeah. They won't, they won't think that that's valid. They believe that Osama bin Laden did it, right? Yeah. yeah. Because that's, that's the... No, I told them, yeah. I told my mom that Joe Biden's a warlord. Yeah. And she's, I think I told you this. I forget exactly what I said, though, but she was like, you said Joe Biden's a warlord. Like, um, but he's fighting against... I'm like, he murdered all those people. It doesn't, like, it doesn't matter who else did what else. Like, he, he did this anyways. Yeah. He murdered people. You 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 uh, supervised over it as president, right? There's no such thing. That's why we don't have this concept of Islam that you could be the leader and not be responsible at the same time. You're a hun- you're fully responsible for all the murders that happen in your in your reign. Mom came to today though, and she was like, you know, uh, King Charles is secretly Muslim. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's the word that's going around. Oh, she watches him. She should watch him. Those people, like, uh, they find him super sophisticated. Yeah. And they're, they're convinced he is. Yeah. So, uh, It's a forehead, Allah says, the forehead that is a lying forehead, and it is a mistaken forehead. So what does that mean? And that's in, this is one of the science in the Quran type of verses that show, these, later on, they say, where are decisions made in the brain? made up here and so that's one of the verses that they usually quote when they say science in the Quran they say Allah says he attributes honesty and decision making which is honesty is a type of decision to the forehead and we know now that in the main when people make decisions this is the part of the brain that's functioning so that's one of the verses about that but I, I feel very comfortable and very happy to know that your creator, your protector, has a lot of power to inflict a lot of pain on bad people. Do you want a God and a, and a protector and a creator that cannot do that or that will never do that? Go one day and have a boss or a leader and then have a re- rebellion and see that rebellion cook up and destroy everything that you love, right? And see your leader either not have the ability or not have the stomach, right? Or the, the will to do so, to take care of these people. You're going to be so unsettled, so unhappy, right? Even a family. You got a problem in the house. There's a, there's a what, what's, the, what's the saying? There's a fox in the, in the pen, whatever. There's a fox in the hen house. That means there's a guy causing fit in our family and you have a dad who has no will of his own no power okay and he just allows this fox to wreak havoc see how you're going to feel you're going to feel like your head's going to burst do something fix this punish this person here are these ayat of punishment really it is from the kamal of Allah the perfection of Allah Ta'ala because some people deserve it Okay, some people deserve punishment. 
if you look at some of the crimes that some people commit, they deserve punishment. Even if we say, and Imam al-Haddad said, you should never wish that anyone gets punished, but the fact that Allah has the ability to punish them, and the will to punish them, okay, uh, that should be sufficient. Fear in a person. That you are sentenced to punishment, right? And then, if Allah wills to forgive, you should forgive, but you should never uh, wish that upon anyone. Sanad'u zabaniya We will call the Zabaniyah. Who are these Zabaniyah? Az-Zubn. Az-Zubn is to push back. Az-Zabaniyah Jahannam. Summu biha. Qala ibn Abbas. They are called that because they force people in the fire. They push them into the... The guy's like running away. He doesn't want to go. They're forcing him into the fire. As Zajjad says, Hum malaika. They are malaika. They are rough. They are fierce. Okay. All right. And in some narrations, people have from the ulama have said they are deaf, blind, mute, and they can't smell. Because if any, Allah's creation is all has mercy in it. If they could see, hear, smell, okay, or speak, and see the punishment that they, they're inflicting on people, the mercy in their heart would have moved. Right? Allah Adam, if that's true or not, that's not like a sahih narration, but it has been said, they do not hear, smell, or see. Because if they did, they would ask mercy for these people. That's how bad it is. And it's also a depression for the punished. That when like a faceless being that cannot hear you, your screams, you can't talk to him, you can't do anything. But also, that's, it is said that it's some of them are like that, but others of the malaika, they are like that because in the Quran itself, they complained. They said, uh, uh, help us, get us out of here. And the malaika said, did, did you not get a messenger? You have no excuse. Right? So, uh, that's just one thing that's been said about them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala closes with always disobey these people. Anytime that there's a tyrant, a heretic, an oppressor, a kafir who is truly against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're not saying legal kafir. There are le- people who are legally in Islam, by the law of Islam, they're categorized as kafirs. We're in this ayah talking about the enemy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He has waged war on Allah ta'ala. Okay? He's waged war on Allah. La Always go against them. So if an enemy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, let's say you're in a debate or something, or you see them on a train or something, let's say you ran into Dawkins, and Dawkins said, hey, take a seat, don't obey him. Every act of obedience is a bond between you and that person, right? If Dawkins told you, okay, uh, let's hear, recite Surah Al-Fatihah. No, I'm not doing, I'm never going to obey you. Exactly. Exactly, shaitan came to him with this trick. Because anytime you obey someone, there's a bond being built between you and them. Okay? So shaitan came to Sayyidina Isa says, Sayyidina ilaha illallah. It's a trick, right? So Sayyidina Isa, he knows better than shaitan. And he said, I will, but not after you. So he walked away from him and he said it. Because you have to, uh, Allah says in the Quran, if they're told to worship Allah, rukwa being symbolic for worship of Allah, they won't do it. Imam Malik, a boy came to him and said, Irka. 
it was after Asr. Mary got up and prayed two rakas. Even if it was, it was the makruh time, but he said, in this case, no, because Allah says, if they are told to make ruku'ah, they refuse. Okay? A boy, you know, just like boys were talking, like a child, basically said, get up and pray. So Malik got up and prayed. Look at his understanding of the deen. So whenever someone tells us to do something good, never say no. But if an oppressor, if a shaitan, if an enemy of faith tells you to do anything, you never obey them. And that's why working for them is a disaster. Living in their lands. That's why we have Muslims in America and in the West, they just like clay in the hands of the culture. Because they have obeyed this culture so many times, their loyalty to it, even if it goes against the dictates of Allah, and we see this every time a non-Muslim dies, they're the first to run and seek forgiveness for this person and pray for this person. And the only way I put it is that, look, these people did not accept Islam in their life. Don't force it on them in their death. You're praying for them to go to an Islamic paradise when he doesn't want the Islamic religion. Right? And they're always doing this. They're always praying for these people. Okay? For something that this person didn't even believe in. I would find it disrespectful. Imagine if one of a person in our community died. And he happened to be extremely, have good relations with the Hindus. Then he dies, and we pray janazah for him, and we've noticed that in the Hindu temples they're having celebrations for him, ceremonies for him, and they're celebrating because he's reincarnated now into some form. And they're talking about him in their context. Wouldn't you be upset? Right? Don't talk about him in your context. Your entire context is invalid for us. It means nothing to us. It offends us. Someone tells you, oh, your dad, he's evolved in nirvana and he's coming back in a better form. He's a now he's a sheep who's going who's gonna to have a wonderful owner, right? And he's just going to eat and mate all day, right? Uh, sorry, no, I don't, you're offending me here, right? Uh, he's a falcon now. He's evolved from, from Arab to falcon. I mean, so these people, why are you now... If you cared so much, why don't you give him da'wah when he was alive? It's this hypocrisy. All right, let's stop here. Last thing we say, The closest you are to your Lord is when you are in sujood, so make much du'a. Believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, we only have half an hour for Q&A. I'm sorry to tell you this, but we only have half an hour for questions and answers, so let's take your Q&A right now. Where are you going, right? You go to class? Yeah, yeah. I, I was there, my teacher wasn't there for the first, like, 40 minutes. My God. And then, like, right, I told the diva for five minutes. Yeah. Coming, and then she walks right in. Oh, my God. She's, like, half asleep. Now. I thought she was drunk or something. But, uh, what's, the, what's the class? She was uh, staying. She stayed up all night, probably. No, no. The thing is, it's because all these teachers they don't drive cars because they're so obsessed with. Oh, they don't drive, drive cars. cars. Her bus was late from New York. Oh, okay. None of the none of the urban planning teachers drive cars. I bet you she lives in the Greenwich Village too. Yeah. That's what those types there. That's where they all live. All right. All right, folks. We only have a few um, minutes for questions. We do not have have a session tomorrow. They have a medical situation that I have to tend to. All right. Um, hey, Rai, do you mind paying the restaurants? Yeah, no, I told him I was going to bring him a check tomorrow. Check? What do we give him a card? Would oh, they do that? We do that yeah. 
Okay. I'll unlock for you here. Actually, tomorrow. I'll just give you the wallet tomorrow. You can do it. Or tonight. I'll leave it in my mailbox tonight or something. Okay. All right, folks. Uh, the Mermaid says, regarding Janazah for people who didn't outwardly show Islam, we should have husnavan, and we don't know what is in their hearts. Um, yes, but we have rules in Islam. Okay. husnavan is not in whether someone became Muslim or not is a legal matter, okay? And therefore, then, well, maybe Hitler died as a Muslim. Maybe Elvis Presley died as a Muslim. Maybe um, everyone else died as a Muslim. Well, why don't you have Hosad Dhan for bin Laden and open a du'at for him? Uh, well, he's a Muslim anyway. We know he's a Muslim, but he was someone that most people will stay away from, right? Politically, okay? We can't touch him. So they didn't even want to pray Janazah on some of these people. No, uh, we can only make salah on someone who we know is a Muslim. With Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's between him and Allah. So you're correct in one aspect and you're incorrect in another aspect. The aspect that you're correct is we can't say who's in the hellfire and who's not. We don't know how they died between themselves and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But we do know as a ruling, this person did not die as a Muslim. We will not, he will not, is not afforded the rights of a Muslim. Okay, which is janazah, dua, etc. So that's why, that's the rule. Otherwise we have chaos. Well then how do I know that you truly are a Muslim, right? Maybe you're not. Well, because it can't just go one way. Positive suspicion, but negative suspicion, no. Right? So then really maybe the last mass shooter died as a Muslim. You never know. Maybe he just had a tragic life. Who maybe... Stalin died as a Muslim. So where do we start, draw the line? By our judgment of people? No. So, Mary Maid, I hope that answers your question. Eminem, why did you describe Islam with the word weird? No, I'm saying in their eyes it's weird. I'm not saying, obviously, it's not in our eyes. In their eyes, they view it as that. That's how they view it. A random user says, I should really be doing my homework now. Okay, Is there a way to ask a question privately? I suppose so. Uh, by sending it to info at Safina Society, but Ryan's not here to check his email. Batul says, should we prepare ourselves emotionally for Allah not answering our du'as? A'udhu billah, that is shaitan getting to you because of maybe some, he got to your heart because the Prophet says the exact opposite. Okay? The exact opposite. The Prophet said, pray certain that Allah will answer your du'a. Okay? And that your, you, your du'a do not get answered only because you don't believe you stopped praying for it and you said you believed that you won't be answered Mary Maid says it's all tawfiq yes it's all tawfiq okay it's all to, so what I'm saying you're, you're correct in one aspect and incorrect in another aspect it is all tawfiq it's between them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can someone have secretly become a Muslim yes of course can someone have secretly even they don't know what the shahada is, but their state with Allah Ta'ala is belief, it's possible. That's between them and Allah. But us, on this earth, as Muslims, we will not treat them as Muslim because otherwise we would be in chaos acting upon suspicions and guesses. And we don't act on guessing in this life. So we may pray upon somebody who's a Muslim whom Allah knows is a munafiq. And we may not pray on someone who is not a Muslim be- outwardly they were not a Muslim but between them and Allah Ta'ala they took the shah- they, they believed 
even if they, they didn't even know what the shahada is, but iman settled in their heart. That's between them and Allah. Or Allah deemed them that they didn't receive the message in a way that was suitable for them to actually believe, and Allah may forgive them. That is for Allah Ta'ala. That's not for us. So that's the... I hope uh, Mary made... Um, now she's saying, okay, I'm talking about Muslims who didn't practice their religion. Okay? Muslims who don't practice their religion, they all, of course, uh, must be treated that Allah Ta'ala at least gave them iman. He gave them iman because He wanted to save them. All right? So whether they're forgiven or not on the akhirah, the forg- I've heard from ulama that people that will be shocked when they see the details of the Allah's justice. So much so, to the point that if you're walking between two apple farms, and you see an apple on the ground, and you throw it in one of the farms, you'd be questioned for that. How do you know it was his and not the other guys? An apple. Then they will be shocked to see Allah's mercy, and how willing he is to forgive. So, um, Hannah D, I'm hoping to travel to New York from England. Where is, any Islamic things to go to see in New York? 96th Street Masjid is a nice masjid. It's, it's not like the London Central Mosque in uh, Regent's Park, but it is a nice masjid. Um, you should come to NBIC, which is 40 minutes away. Okay. The third time I'm asking with no answer. Wow. I didn't see that. Hamza Aziz. Because I don't scroll up. When the Q&A starts, I just go straight where we are. What is my estimation as to why Allah gave one of the greatest sources of wealth to the La'in Gulf Arabs? For simple, the simple answer is it was the dua of Sayyidina Ibrahim salam to bless them with what what they need because it's a dry arid territory and so they were blessed with that they were blessed before this by always being taken care of mecca was always taken care of by a different empire like so different khilafa they always took care of mecca in terms of sending it food and resources when the khilafa went down allah gave them their own resource which was better than the what the Ottomans did for it. They gave them the petrol and the oil, but they squandered it. If you had this resource that the entire world needs, you would probably be able to control the entire world because of this resource, right? You should be able to control the entire world. They would be at your knees. Otherwise, you won't release the resource. So, But nonetheless, they were um, deprived of it because of no, no barakah. So they have it, but not barakah. You can have a lot of blessing, a lot of physical things, but no blessings. There's a big difference between stuff and you benefiting from that stuff. So they have tons of stuff, but they don't benefit from it. In the sense that their political power didn't benefit. You could have had the biggest army in the world. You could have fed all of these poor countries around you in exchange for manpower, right? But no. What's the best way to recover from low iman is much recitation of the Qur'an with contemplation and reading the stories of prophets. Do you any 
you know any places you would recommend to visit in Marrakesh? I can't. I haven't been so long since I've been to Morocco, but we have Sophia here. She's just went to Morocco, so she could help you out. Is makruh to pray after Asr? Yes, it is. It is makruh uh, to pray after Salat al-Asr. No effort. You don't pray no effort after Asr. Uh, it's, it's, for, it's a forbidden time to pray. Not makruh, forbidden. To pray nafila for no reason after Asr and after Salat al-Fajr. Until the sun comes up. Khala White says, at night we should recite Subhanallah 33 times. Alhamdulillah 33 times. Allahu Akbar 34 times. That's it. No, that we don't say La ilaha illallah. Now, of course, you could say that anytime you want, but in that specific dhikr, it's not that. Mahamza uh, says, Can you make dua for my grandmother? She's going through a surgery. What if you're making up a prayer after Asr? Is that allowed? The answer is yes, because we said nawafil are not allowed. Not fara'id. Obligations are still permitted. But nawafil are not allowed. Ibrahim Khan, if Allah wants to honor someone, what does he do to him? He gives him religious knowledge and he gives him pious children who will respect him. That's how showing the honor. And he gives him a community that loves him. That's how they show him honor. But Allah Ta'ala gives him tawfiq to do acts of worship and to learn the religion. That's how Allah honors people. And to do good deeds. The tawfiq to do these deeds is the gift itself. Abdul Fattah is the hadith to expel other religions from Arabia authentic. Yes, it is. Quality control. What happens to the souls of non-Muslims that passed away on 9-11? Same thing that happens to non-Muslim souls who pass away in general. No different in terms of the our general knowledge, people just die. Ishaq Ahmed, what is the benefit of sending salah on the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the other, uh, on all of the Rusul and Nabi, not the Prophet Muhammad, but all the Rusul and Nabiin, prophets and messengers, and is it better to send it upon all of them instead of just our Prophet? No, our ibadah is to send salawat and salam on our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. However, when other Prophets are mentioned, we give salah and salam upon our Prophet and upon them. So someone mentioned Sayyidina Yusuf, you say, alayhi wa ala nabiyyina as salatu was salam. Okay, upon him and upon our Prophet is salah and salam because we are, it's a dua, we're honoring them and respecting them and it is a way to draw near to Allah by honoring and respecting all Prophets. Okay. What's Madik's position of nikah over the phone? It's not about the, the medium, it's about ensuring the identity. That's an obligation. Okay, So the phone, it's a valid nikah. However, on the condition that you're able to ensure the identity. How do you know that you're talking to someone not a recording? You see what happened to Manti Teo? The poor guy? You didn't see what happened? You didn't hear about it? So this is a football player a long time ago. This guy was like a great player. And he fell in love with somebody on the phone. Okay? And then that person died. And he told the news. Like my, 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 my girl died. And he totally got, you know, like was, everyone was sympathizing for him, with him. And then people realized, uh, someone leaked it. No, that girlfriend wasn't real. It was a dude. It was a gay dude. 
who were acting with a girl's voice, right? So he was totally humiliated. You can't be really a foot captain of a football team if you got duped like that. And his confidence just shot. And he, he still had a career, but nothing close to what he was projected to be. So the phone, you can be tricked. Video is better, right? Video is better because at least you could see the person in front of you. So it's all about, um, it's all about the identity, ensuring who's getting married. Are you responsible, says Edible, if you own a FedEx route or, okay, if, you're, if your job is to transport packages, are you responsible if the content is haram? The answer is yes, but you don't have to look. So if, if I get a job for FedEx and they say, Trans, transport these boxes for me, halal, I don't have to ask what's in the box. But if I find out that it's alcohol in the box, I can't transport it. So when you get the job, get the, do this. Right? Don't look. If you look and discover it, then it's halal. But to transport a box is halal, a package. As soon as you know something's haram in it, then you're not allowed to do that. Any advice for someone who sees a hopeless future and depression isn't abating? Um, at some point, you have to will yourself out of it, even by faking it. Right? By having... This is husna dhan billah, that you're going to have a bright future. And we have dhikr, right? Dhikr is repetition. So you have to repeatedly repeat to yourself that Allah Ta'ala has a bright future for you until you make yourself believe it. Okay. Uh, we also know that Salah on the Prophet, it is impossible for the Prophet to tell us that something is a medicine and then it's not curing. The Salah on the Prophet will be a cure. And the only, let's say someone's doing a lot of salat on the Prophet every single day, but it's not having a result. I would say maybe you also have some sins that's negating the salat. You can't do a thousand salawats on the Prophet every day and zina at the same time and say, and then wonder why it's not working. All right, so that's like saying, I take the medicine, but then I vomit. Why isn't the medicine working? So eliminate sins. And do dhikrullah and dhikr rasul alayhi salatu wasalam because the Prophet himself said it will remove anxiety and depression. It has to be like that. Husnadhan billah. Every human being, hope, it displaces sadness. It displaces so many bad things. Every human being is like that. No human being, you give him something that he loves and you put it in front of him and he stays sad. It's impossible. So you have to always know that Allah is going to be generous. You have to tell yourself. You have to force it upon yourself. Uh, Mary Maid says, Thank you for explaining. I understand. And I thought you were talking about non-praying or non-practicing Muslims. Okay, so that makes more sense what she's saying. She's vindicated. Ibrahim Khan, How do we focus more internally than externally? I would say that has to do with Iman. Right? It has to do with the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that are unseen. For example, what goes around comes around. The Prophet said, 
How about the unseen law of Allah that Prophet said, No wealth is lost from giving charity. You cannot lose money by giving charity. These are, you think about these unseen. Nobody could say, except that they will pass through the tribulation that they're in. Nobody could avoid the haram except that he will gain more than he loses. Right? And Allah will give you rizq from where you least expected it. So these are the unseen laws and principles. If you do this, you will get this result. The Quran is filled with this. The hadith is filled with this. So to be more internal than external is by believing in these laws and then acting upon them. These secret unseen spiritual laws. What's the fatwa on washing machines in relation to purification? Yeah, the washing machine is fine as a purifier because the washing machine uses water first, right? It uses water first. And, and purification for us has two requirements. Number one, you, it's by water. And number two, the water comes off clean, right? So the first part of the cycle is water, right? Then soap. Then what's the last part of the cycle? Water. So the water comes off clean. So both conditions are there. So the first part of the cycle is water. The question you should ask is dry cleaning. So if you have najasa on your garment, but you need to send it to the dry cleaner, the solution to that is very simple. Run it underwater, just the najasa. Run it underwater until the najasa is gone. Then you send it to the dry cleaner. That's the question. Uh, Sultan14538, you send me a private message and I'll send you his information. Can you hang up Ayatul Kursi and Allah's name? The answer is yes, but you can't put your feet towards it. Okay. What time is it? Uh, 3.30? We got to wrap up. Siraj, in Darul Fat's opening, there was a young boy who recited with a beautiful voice. Is there a specific reciter he imitated? I'll, I'll ask. I do not know, to be honest with you. That's one of our tulab ilm, alhamdulillah. Okay. Okay. Um, Please, if you have depression, make dua and salah on the Prophet and seek professional help. I agree with that. Don't underestimate secular, regular, earthly methods of getting yourself out of your slump. Don't underestimate that. It, they do help. All right, so, Maliki Click, if you're in New York, all you have to do is go to Penn Station, okay? Take a 20. 17, I don't know, what is it, 20, 22 two bucks ticket, round trip ticket. One way, it's less than that. 14 bucks, that's what it is. To New Brunswick. Penn Station to New Brunswick. It's five stops, right? Five stops. You get out of New Brunswick. The New Brunswick station to MBIC, you could walk it four miles or take an Uber for two bucks, right? You Uber it for four bucks to MBIC. So it's literally, um, uh, 
it's literally uh, what should we call it? Four, three, four miles from the New Brunswick train station. Or you could call somebody and we'll have someone pick you up. Sophia says, how could you only have 15K subscribers on YouTube? We, we never gave YouTube attention until this year. It was like a video here and there, that's it. We never gave it much attention. Also, I think it's because um, YouTube, it, my, all my Facebook and my stuff is, is me as a person. It's my personal account. YouTube, it's Safina Saidi account. So people tend to, to go more to a personal account than a organization, maybe. Who knows? Why does Allah give the kuffar such long lives? Out of mercy, so that they could change their ways. Okay, Sharif Antoya, what's the ruling to pray behind an ibadi? La, mubtadia. We don't pray behind mubtadia, the deeds are not valid. Why does Judaism follow matrilineal lineage? La adri. I do not know. Hamza, thank you. Also, I have the work commute from hell. I drive an hour and a half every morning. I get to work right after Fajr. What should I do on the road in that Mubarak time? If you have the energy, listen to classes. Take a class, right? Like a curriculum, if you have the energy. Oh, by the way, you guys all, you need to take the Aqidah class this semester on ArcView. Sheikh Murad's teaching on Sunday. Jawad. Joharat at Tawheed. This is the beginning of a three term class on the most, one of the best, most comprehensive books of Aqidah for the Asha'ira. Joharat at Tawheed, Hashiyat al Bayjuri on Joharat at Tawheed. Unbelievable. Sheikh Usama Salhiyat. That's Wednesday night. All calling all Hanafis. Monday night is Hanafi night. Tuesday night for Maliki Fiqh. Wednesday night for Shafi'i Fiqh. Thursday night for Hanbali Fiqh. We have all four on Arcview. Yeah. Not a Darfat. On Arcview, which we're revamping the website, revamp is like two, two more days, and the whole website will be revamped. But Monday night, Hanafi Fiqh. Tuesday night, Shafi'i Fiqh. Uh, Maliki Fiqh. Wednesday night, Shafi'i Fiqh. Then... It's Joharat al-Tawheed. Thursday, it's Hanbali Fiqh. Then it's my Tasawwuf class. So you don't want to miss any of that. All the kids' classes are on Sunday. Two classes in a row. Sira for kids. Uh, uh, fiqh essentials for youth. And then Sira for youth. Then for the adults and high schoolers, I think, they can take Murad's Aqidah class. Oh, I don't have a... It's not that one. Yeah, I didn't bring, I didn't bring the picture yet. I have to give you the picture tomorrow, inshallah. All right, so go to arcview.org and support this live stream at patreon.com backslash society. But go to arcview.org and eventually, as time goes on, we are revamping the website that it's you're going to see everything uh, in a much clearer way. But, okay, um, you need to check this out. Okay. You need to check it out. Joharat uh, al-Tawheed, it's one of the most amazing works on Aqidah, especially Hashid al-Bayjuri. He covers everything. Everything is covered there. All right, folks, we got to go, unfortunately, 
Fictional Frontier says, Assalamu alaikum. How many days can one wait before being buried? Being buried, burying in the U.S. if one wants to ensure a loved one is buried in a Muslim cemetery. I don't believe that there is much, there's no ruling on the limit on days, but there is a discouragement of delaying without need. If there's no need, then we don't delay. If um, there is a need, then we may delay, such as the need to go down to the state, uh, the city where they're at, etc., etc. Okay. I have two questions. There is Patreon. There is YouTube. There is Safina Society. Now we have, there are two schools. So we have ArcView. We have, so, uh, the YouTube, Patreon, it goes, it doesn't, that branch goes to all our publications. Our, it goes to ArcView. It goes to nothing but facts. And the soup kitchen, and the Darul um, Fatah, that's separate, and and Hivs Academy, that's a second wing of our organization. So there's two wings of our organization, right? So um, those who want to support Darul Fatah, that's a different. You can go to darulfatah.org backslash support. That goes specifically there. But if you get any of our books, Patreon, YouTube, ArcView, that's just for that online and public stuff okay the online that's just online and the public stuff and then Darul Fat and the soup kitchen is a separate account completely for the on-site stuff because that's really for the community by the community right and so that you could be at darulfat.org backslash support and that is tax deductible okay all right folks um the link isn't working for Darul Fatah. How? Darul Fatah. All right, let me check it. Hey, um, Maliki Click, you're here? Maliki Click is, could you see what he's saying? He's here. Can Ryan pick me up from Newark Airport? Page not found. Daughterfats.org backslash support isn't found. Okay, hold on. Go to, oh, okay, so maybe the SEO is different. So they just go to daughterfats.org and then at the top, click support. Let's see what the SEO says. Um, daughterfats.org. Oh, shoot. Okay, it doesn't say support, but just go to daughterfats.org and then click support. So thank you, Sophia, for, for, for giving me that information. We have so many supporters here uh, that. Let us know when things aren't working. Okay, so we'll, I'll, I can easily fix that. That's like a two-second fix, that we can ask somebody to fix that. Okay. Um, so Maliki Click is uh, basically due for a visit. Next time he's able to come by, come by uh, he'll come for a visit. Um, ladies and gentlemen, unfortunately, very unfortunately, we have to stop here. Afifa. She says, subhanAllah, about these fit classes. We really hope the Hanabila, the Hanaf, the Shafi'iyah get a lot of students because this is the, for our first time. Ihsan, the Moroccan, go ahead with your question. That'll be the last question that we take today. Um, we have all these. I really hope to f- the students pack up.
the classes, right? We got these shiuch to come teach for us. And uh, they're taken out from their generous time. So we want, you know, a good handful of 10, 12 students in each class. Ehsan Moroccan, you got uh, 30 seconds to bring up your question. Downstairs. Yeah, make we do and we'll pray right now. Huh? We're going to pray right now. Yeah. Is it locked? Here. All right, Ehsan Moroccan, it'll have to wait till tomorrow. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta. نستغفرك ونتوب إليك والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر. Okay, he did bring in his question. I'm in the hospital now with my mom. Subhanallah. My mother got hospitalized, and the doctors just said they won't choose to reanimate my mom because of her heart condition. So that means that is basically they will not uh, artificially keep her alive. At that point, you are in a uh, beginning of the end phase. And you, you do have some practical matters and you have some spiritual matters. When you have the death of a loved one, you have to think of the practical matters. And then your mind could be settled to think of the spiritual matters. The practical matters is you have to get her will. And it has to be her, her, her will, herself, and you have to prepare to execute that. You have to make sure that she owns, you own a plot in a graveyard. So you go to the local masjid, how do I buy a plot? The local masjid should help you buy a plot. You will then go to the local funeral home. The Muslim funeral home, you will contact them and you tell them the situation from now. That any minute now, she's going to pass away and uh, we need you to jump in action and get the funeral going. You will, uh, that funeral director should, should help you organize everything. Once you've fulfilled all these practical matters, then you spend the rest of the time praying for the rahmah to come down to your mother and to make her last uh, moments on this earth peaceful and to remove the pain. And you make a lot of dua for her to enter Jannah without any hisab. And you give sadaqah from your own money for the sake that Allah answers your dua. Give out a lot of sadaqah. A sadaqah tutfi'u ghadab al-rabb. It puts out any of the wrath that was earned by sins. So uh, that's what I would um, uh, advise you to do. Uh, we're back Wednesday, everybody. Remember, Tuesday I can't be here. Tomorrow I can't be here, so we're back Wednesday. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Shadun la ilaha na ta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu alayk wa al-asr. Inna al-insana la fi khusr. Illa al-lazina amanu wa aminu al-salihat. Wa tawasu bil-haq. وتواصوا بالصبر والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله